כן. It's been an exciting week here at Midnight Corey. Uh, thanks for listening to my podcast. My name is Corey, and I'm going to talk a whole bunch this week, so get ready. Now, why was it so exciting? Well, uh, first of all, the circumstances that I'm recording under uh, this week is very interesting, and it's because some things came up and I've uh, been traveling, things like that. So this is going to be crazy. But uh, actually, the most excitement is that we have now declared winners in the Eric S. Brown and David Dunwoody Zombie Flash Fiction Contest. Hooray! The results are in, it's official, and this is so exciting. Now, like I said, the top three winners are going to be read on the show this very week. And uh, I'm going to be reading one of them, but even much, much cooler than that is that I'm bringing on two good friends, two guys that have been in the podcasting world for a while now, and they also happen to be two very incredibly talented authors themselves, but James Durham from Fetidus and James Melzer from The Zombie Chronicles, and also Unleashed, and, and among a lot of other stuff. Those two guys are very, very busy, but no wonder, because uh, they're very talented. But anyhow, they have been kind enough to agree to read one of the winning stories. So, once again, got to thank those guys. I thank Eric S. Brown and David Dunwoody for sponsoring the contest and for taking the time to judge all the entries. We got 58 of them. You guys were fantastic. And I saw a lot of the back and forth going on between Mr. Brown and Mr. Dunwoody as they were trying to figure out who the, the top three were going to be. And I know it was a really, really tough decision, but... Even though not everybody could win, not everybody can get cool stuff, you know, I do really, really appreciate each and every piece of flash fiction that was submitted. Anyhow, what am I going to be talking about this week? Well, I'm going to be reviewing some movies. Two movies, to be exact, and Misfit Boy is actually going to submit his review also. Uh, we're going to be talking about The Ghoul from 1933. Told you about this last week. This is the uh, first uh, zombie movie from uh, Boris Karloff. Uh, the, the first couple had to do with Lugosi. And now we look at Karloff. This is from 1933, so this is right after White Zombie. And uh, actually right after The Mummy, right after Frankenstein, Dracula, all of that. So yeah, all these classic movies are happening at once. And we're seeing the birth of the zombie movie. And this is the way that Karloff did the zombie movie. So... Misfit Boy also has a review for The Ghoul. And I, I also mentioned last week that I very well may watch and review Zombies of Mass Destruction, the After Dark film from 2009, and lo and behold, I watched it, and I'm going to review it. <laughs> if you've been following me on Twitter, uh, I'm, my name is Midnight Corey on Twitter, um, I already made some comments about that and have talked to a few of you about that, so very interesting. Brian in Colorado brings us our review of beers this week. Uh, we got a voicemail and original music. Again, in this, this week, uh, I'll, I'll wait, I'm not even going to talk about it right now. Uh, I'll just talk all about it uh, during the original music part of the show, whenever that's going to happen. So let's move on to some zombie stuff that I found out about this week. It's all about The Walking Dead. You know, that's been the big news in the zombie world. Walking Dead going to TV. It's going to be uh, a six-part miniseries on AMC, at least for the first season. Now, we all knew 
that uh, Frank Darabont was put in charge of this, but uh, it turns out he is not writing and directing the whole series. Um, so thanks to Ain't It Cool News, uh, we now know who's taking on each episode here. So episode one, Frank Darabont, director and the writer. Episode two, directed by Michelle McLaurin from Breaking Bad, whatever that is. And uh, it was written, though, by Frank Darabont. Episode three, directed by Gwyneth Horter Payton from The Shield. So, never watched it. Don't know. Uh, also written by Frank Darabont, Chick Egley from The Shield, and Jack Logadish from Sons of Anarchy. I have no, no idea. <laughs> Episode four, directed by Johan Renk from Breaking Bad, written by Robert Kirkman. Holy moly, Robert Kirkman himself wrote uh, episode four. Huh. Episode five, directed by Ernest Dickerson from The Wire and Dexter, written by Glenn Mazzara from The Shield. And episode six, directed by Guy Furland from Sons of Anarchy, written by Adam Fierro from Dexter and 24. So how about that? Now, you know, in other news about The Walking Dead, AMC is now sponsoring a contest where you can win a walk-on role during Season 2 of The Walking Dead, so they're already planning ahead to that, which is cool. Uh, it's all done through a random drawing. There's also this motion comic available and this whole set tour video with Robert Kirkman himself. Um, this is I'm getting all this stuff from Dread Central. But I'm sorry, you know, <laughs> I talk about big horror sites and big, you know, horror sites that want to look big. And, uh, uh, you know, I really despise those kind of sites, even Dread Central anymore. Um, uh, they're just packed full of pompous wannabes and loser movie fans that only wish that they could be as cool as the filmmakers that they worship. I'm just, I'm just really sick and tired of big websites like Dread Central and Bloody Disgusting and Horror-Movies.ca. There are a whole bunch of them, a million others out there. And uh, anymore, they all just make vomit come up the back of my throat. <laughs> you know, and I, I, maybe I'm saying this because I read this great article um, that uh, it was by someone who identifies himself as the cinematic asshole. And I got this through Twitter. And they're supposed to have a website up, but I go to the domain and it says not found. But uh, the article was titled, What I Hate About Movie Websites. Um, now, this guy, whoever he is, claims to work in the movie industry and he basically thinks he's the coolest thing in the world. Um, chances are he's just another, like, you know, 400-pound unemployed slob living in his mom's basement, you know, talking big on the internet. <laughs> but, uh, who knows, who knows. And, uh, but what does he hate about movie websites? Well, pretty much the same things I do, you know. They have uh, all these, you know, breaking stories, the, the set visits, the exclusive photos, the exclusive interviews, the scoops... And then they're all just so, they come across as so pompous and holier than thou with that kind of attitude, you know? And it's all just so stupid anymore to me. And, uh, you know, this guy is uh, actually kind of coming across that way, so I guess that's a little bit of hypocrisy in this. But uh, nonetheless, I agree with him. And I just advise you to stick with small independent blogs just done by fans, just do it, doing it because they like to do it. And uh, stay away from these big commercial sites are just retarded. So <laughs> there's my rant again. I think I've ranted about that like more times than I can count. Got some articles to talk about. <laughs> Another worker plunges to his death at iPhone manufacturer Foxconn. Oh, this is the New York Daily News. Foxconn Technology Group is actually the world's largest 
contracted cell phone manufacturer, and they, they make a lot of other things too. Um, apparently, though, it is so terrible to work there, which this is in China, that workers are committing suicide inside this big complex. Um, it's the 10th suicide this year. <laughs> 10 workers from this company have committed suicide. <laughs> so just remember, these people are the people who are getting a lot of your money when you go out and buy things like the iPhone and some things from Dell, some things from HP, and the, the list goes on. But, uh, you know, you're kind of supporting this, so... <laughs> Oh, the next couple are about people that uh, have some problems. Uh, woman thought she had powers. Murder trial. Well, this is out of Canada from British Columbia from ctv.ca. We got a woman here who's on trial who is accused of killing her 12-year-old autistic son. She apparently believed... Now, this is a long list of wacky beliefs by this woman. <laughs> Listen to this. This is great. She apparently believed that he was the chosen one. And that her daughter, she had two other daughters, she thought that one was an angel and the other was the Virgin Mary. Uh, people also claim that she once believed that she had to actually sacrifice her younger daughter in order to resurrect her. She believed that her now ex-husband was the devil and that she also had all these crazy supernatural powers. And <laughs> here's, a, here's a good one. She believed that her dead father was God. And that the devil was in her house, so that would be her now ex-husband. And that God was coming in a helicopter to take everyone away. <laughs> yes. Yes. You know, when God works miracles, he comes down in a helicopter. That's how he does things. <laughs> oh, even At one point, here's, here's another one. At one point, she claimed that she was pregnant by the Holy Spirit with seven babies. So... Yeah. So, you know, everybody that knew her, everybody that was around her, her family, they all say that she'd been slipping in the mental department for quite a while. And it was actually diagnosed as being bipolar, but none of the people that she ever talked to ever had enough evidence to predict that she'd do anything like this. But this is some pretty crazy stuff. And it took her to finally kill her 12-year-old autistic son to get somebody to uh, do something about it. So... Yeah, yeah, that's weird. And it's, it, it sounds like the plot to like some crazy B movie or Z movie, but this is totally real right here. So somebody can write a uh, based on true events kind of movie on this article here. Yeah, just give me a, a little bit of credit, you know, for, for this, whatever. <laughs> oh, the last article, man claims to see demons, strangles cat and beats up girlfriend. <laughs> oh, this is out of Orlando, thanks to OrlandoSentinel.com. Now, this guy came home from work in a, quote, altered state of mind. And he proceeded to curse out his girlfriend, beat her up, and strangle the cat. Supposedly, he disconnected the telephone, turned off the lights, and he told his girlfriend and her son that they were Satan and demons and that they were dead meat. <laughs> well, it sounds to me like, you know, this guy just had a bad day at work, maybe stopped at the bar afterwards, had a few... And was, you know, pretty upset about it and just came home, strangled a cat, beat up his girlfriend. I mean, you know, I, <laughs> isn't this just like kind of a, a, the normal day in uh, American work life? You know, when you've had a bad day? I, I, don't, I don't see what's wrong with that. <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. This is insane. So there you go.
end of this age of... Brian in Colorado, once again, bringing us our review of beers. Hi, Corey. This weekend, I traveled south to Lakespur, Colorado, home of the Colorado Renaissance Festival. This may surprise you, since this reviewer probably doesn't seem like the kind of guy who'd put on tights and affect an English accent. But the Colorado Fair is a good one, with a permanent site, great food, fun acts, and beer. In the past, the fair has offered a selection of brews, including domestics and imports. Not this year. I had to choose between lightweight beers, like Coors Light, and the mock Irish red Killian's. Imagine climbing up and down the sloped terrain under a 100 degree sun, and the best beer available is Killian's Red. Killian's is an amber red with no head to speak of, despite the heavy carbonation. There are probably some hops in there, but nothing you could notice. The nutty caramel flavor was pleasant at the first sip, but by the end of my massive 8-ounce plastic cup for $4 plus tip, the flavor seemed thin, warm, and sour. This macro product was brewed for drinkability, but I managed just two despite the heat. I don't think Killian's is a bad product. I think it's a commercial product that can't compete with the handcrafted beers I usually drink. So instead of droning on about the beer, let me talk about the peasant wench that served me my brew. She had a frock blouse, cut low in front, with some kind of corset or bustier that gathered her assets in a very pleasing way. When I dropped a dollar on the counter, she rang a bell and shouted, Huzzah for the tipper! This might sound cool, except the guy directly in front of me in line had put a couple quarters down for the girl, and for him she shouted, Huzzah for the handsome tipper! Okay, the guy was 30 years younger than I am, and nice-looking in a skinny, artistic, no-ass-at-all kind of way. But 50 cents? Come on, where was the enthusiasm in my huzzah? She might as well have picked up my dollar bill with a fingertip and thumb as if it was spoiled, muttering, Yay for the wrinkled old fat tipper guy. After that, I drank a diet soda. Brian in Colorado. 
I'm Lu Zhijun. I'm very glad to introduce our paper titled On References for Sums of Powers of Binomial Coefficients on the behalf of Yan Jin and Smith. Many mathematicians have paid attention to the sum of powers of binomial coefficients, such as Cooking, Fornell, and Prostat. Fornell had given the references for the power of 3 and 4. The references for the power 5 and 6 are obtained by process for power 7 to 10. Macintosh used the Quizix method to compute such references. For now, also conjecture that the sum would satisfy similar references and more precisely of half of power 18 3 and the degree is less than the power. The existence of such references was first proved by Stanley, however, without any bounds on the lengths and the degrees. At present, no lower bound for the length of references has been known. In this paper, a non-trivial lower bound for the minimal length of the reference is obtained by using properties of concurrence. So, the minimality of the reference given by Fresnel can be obtained. This method is very interesting and may be used to solve related problems. Thank you. Hey, Corey, what's happening? Better have a call again. I promise this time around with a new podcast, I'm not going to call you like 90 times a week like I used to. But I'm going to try to get all the valid points across and as few messages as possible. Uh, first off, Spooky Bill, uh, I'm so glad that you're still listening. Uh, I cast away my email um, at, to get a hold of you. I kind of fell off the face of the planet because I quit using um, Twitter. And this is kind of relevant to you too, Corey. Um, I, I, I'm an internet troll, man. Like, people on Twitter start, you know, run their mouths and I start telling them, whoa, you mad, bro. And then I start trolling them and, you know, all of a sudden I got a flame war like that. So I, I had to cut myself off. Man. Uh, I would go to, you know, if I'd get people throwing themselves off rooftops and, They'd be like the great old ones themselves and the stars were aligned right, you know. People would just be going mad from, from my great trolling ability, um, which I use in World of Warcraft. Uh, <laughs> I'm a troll, and I call people out on it, and then I um, go on and fight some stuff. That's what I enjoy. But, um, oh, shit, dude. Um, I just listened to, like, pretty much every episode. I missed the contest. Uh, I'm kind of upset about that because flesh fiction is my bread and butter of writing. So I'm going to fold on um, some rough, rough drafts um, because I'm horrible at editing. Uh, I write flash fiction, and then I save it and never do anything with it. So I've got some really good pieces of flash fiction. Well, give my opinion. Uh, I'll leave it up to you um, to do whatever you would want to do with it and uh, maybe make some sense of it. Um, as far as zombies, I like to focus on... Uh, a lot of them take place in apocalypse environments, but I focus on... Uh, you know, a mental character development or, like, you know, the, the emotional breakdown or, you know, just setting a scene and just showing how bleak and uh, horrible it is, you know, which is really what I think um, should be done in a flash fiction piece and just start finish cover the story. So, but um, I hope uh, hope the contest went well. And um, having, you know, Eric S. Brown on the show is fantastic and, 
had to cover so much information. Oh, oh, fuck. This is one of those phone calls. This is one of those phone calls that I send you a text message like 10 minutes later being like, oh, go this from the show. But keep it, uh, I'm really enjoying the new show. I'm loving your music that you're putting on. Um, I got no wave. Um, Kill Your Idols. I'm going to check that out. My girlfriend actually sent me a message in the middle of that show about um, Netflix and the Wii, and I think we're going to do it. So that's a movie I might check out. Um, now that your show is not entirely about zombies and reviewing all sorts of movies, there is a movie that I would love for you to see. Um, it's one of my favorite movies, and I always recommend it. It is one of those um, B-grade movies. Uh, it's a trauma movie, and I'm pretty sure that if you go on Amazon, I'm the only positive review for the movie. It's um, a movie by Barack Epstein. It's on trauma. It's called Corman, American Vegetable Superhero. And it's one of those movies that you either love or hate. And it's like one of those movies that I quote. Like, I, I'm always telling people at work, we need more extension cords. Clearly, like, one or two extension cords does make us look busy enough. Um, and I have a signed copy of the movie from Black Epstein that says, Tom, I got your extension cords right here. Which, you know, just made my day. But, um, yeah, man. I'm very glad that you're back on. The show's going wonderful. And, uh, I'm going to be more of a regular listener. I don't know how I fell off or why my RSS feed didn't keep updating or some shit. I think my iTunes got screwed because I haven't updated it recently. But, um, yeah, I'm going to cut this call because I probably went on far too long and stampered over my words because I have a four-day-long migraine and I just got out of work. But, uh, oh, man. All right, later, guys. That hammer out. No, that's really cool that I heard from you this week, man, uh, because... I, I was wondering whether you knew at all that I was podcasting and you were so cool and uh, you're a friend. Uh, and uh, But, you know, I didn't go out and start emailing a bunch of people and advertising that I was podcasting. I just kind of let it happen. And, uh, yeah, yeah, so that's really cool. Thanks for listening. And, uh, you know, I think one of the coolest things that could happen is for you to, like, call in a million times every week like you used to back in the day. And I'm serious because uh, your your take on things is really cool. So I like when you do reviews and, and just tell me what's on your mind. It was always great. Um, and very thanks for sending me the, the Flash Fiction, by the way. Um, I haven't read it yet. Uh, I'm kind of back and forth here. This week. I'm all over the place this week. But uh, I will do that eventually. And that's really cool that uh, you're, you're a big Flash Fiction writer. Yeah, I recommend Kill Your Idols. Great, great movie. Great movie. And I'm going to look up that trauma movie that you mentioned, see if I can find it. Being that you, yourself, solely have the only positive review of it, so I'll give it a shot. But uh, Bad Hammer, dude, it was great to hear from you, man. This is a cool town. Oh, hi. Hi. This is not Manhattan, all right? Things are different out here. Well, 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 what do we have here? A whale? Hey, look, it's Frida. I've been wanting to tell you how awful that whole mess over in Iraq Actually, is. Actually, I'm not from Iraq. I Iran. We'll come out over dessert together, and we will be free, Tom. All that blood for a little bit of oil? <laughs> America is under attack. Terrorists have managed to unleash a virus. From a new kind of terrorist. Reportedly turns its victims into... Oh, what? Zombies. Again yes. with the Muslims.
Mom, I'm gay. I love you, Frida. You're my lady. <laughs> Mom? Get away from the door, honey! Damn you, zombie! a gun. Don't shoot, I'm gay! Let's go. Grab a knife. Grab a weed whacker. They are taking over the world. One meal at a time. Mommy, Daddy. Everything's going to be okay. Nothing bad is going to happen to you. I promise. Okay, let's go. Run for your life. <laughs> Zombies of mass destruction. You're gonna torture I am not just gonna sit there and let it happen. Okay, Frida. I want you to eat this ham. Zombies of mass destruction. 2009 was one of the After Dark films. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's hit or miss with After Dark. Most of the time, more miss than hit. But uh, it, it's a film by Kevin Hamadani, who is a Middle Eastern American. And, uh, I, I, you know, that is pretty obvious when you watch this movie. Although, you know, I was certain that Michael Moore actually made this movie, and I was surprised to find out that he actually didn't. <laughs> oh, I bought it at Walmart for nine bucks while I was waiting around for some pictures to print. Um, you know, actually, I bought it because of this wonderful blurb on the cover. Uh, the quote is, It's the best of its type since Shaun of the Dead. And that was from Bloody Disgusting. So I saw that, and I'm like, Bloody Disgusting? They are completely reliable. Man, they won't lie about this movie. This must be great. <laughs> oh, and people seem to love this movie, I found. Uh, I've heard a lot of great reviews, seen a lot of good things on the internet about it, so I was interested in seeing it. Well, let me just start off by this, and this has nothing to do with the filmmakers or really the movie, but I'm really sick of getting a DVD and you have those previews that you have to watch at the beginning of the DVD. Um, you know, it's like you got to hit the menu button and then you have to watch the whole menu thing come up and then you finally get to it where you can play the movie. It's a big pain in the ass. You know, I don't want, I don't want to have to go through that. <laughs> but, uh, anyhow, the movie itself, okay, starts off, you know, violent and a little bit over the top at the same time. And it's kind of clear that we're seeing a spoof. It takes place in the small town of Port Gamble, Washington, which is on a small island. It's apparently a very conservative community. And for some reason, one night, zombies invade. So, yeah, start getting zombies. And uh, your stereotypical pack of liberal characters. We have, you know, the gay guys. We have a girl who's uh, of uh, Iranian heritage. And uh, they're the only ones who are the voices of reason in this movie. They're the only reasonable ones as they're portrayed. And uh, they have to survive the zombies and the oppressive conservatives that are also fighting to survive, but uh, are, you know, they're keeping the, <laughs> I don't know, the old way of things. Um, on a positive note, first of all, um, it, it, is, it does have some very funny moments. Um, the comedy is very dry and ironic, uh, often tongue-in-cheek, but there are several times when it's just too over-the-top for me, bordering 
on something that you would expect to see in one of the scary movie movies, <laughs> something like that. Just really retarded, you know, and uh, just based on the title, you know, unfortunately, it's obvious that this is going to be one of those movies with heavy political commentary. But let me tell you, it's far more than just commentary. It's we got we got kind of a Romero style beating you over the head with opinions. But uh, this movie just happens to use comedy to do a lot of that. Um, it's really just a, a big uh, piece of left wing propaganda. You know, it starts off with discussion about Iraq right away. And then it, it busts on Christians the whole movie. Um, busts on firearm supporters, um, anything really conservative or right-wing is a target. And what it's doing, it's equating the zombies with the conservatives, with the old way of doing things, not being progressive, not agreeing with the left-wing opinions and agendas. And uh, the ending of the movie is sending the message that, you know, no matter how much good change that progressives and liberals can bring to the conservative system that we have now there will be no real lasting change because the system in and of itself is corrupt and, and conservative and controlled by conservatives. So that, that was the message of the movie. And, you know, there's really no opposing views that balance anything out. Nothing like that's given. Um, the opposing views that are heard in the movie aren't given any valid weight in this movie because the people who are like stuck in their ways and conservative here, like the Iranian father, uh, Brian's father, the mayor, people like that, are portrayed as unreasonable and almost deranged at times. And uh, yeah, so it is just way overbalanced. You know, leaving, leaving out my own opinions of this, I'm not even going to go into my personal politics or things like that. Um, you know, it, I just saw this as a bunch of just idiocy. You know, it's more of this us versus them mentality that, that does nothing but push people farther apart rather than bringing them together. I mean, seriously, it's always like, my view is right and yours is wrong and I'm going to fight for it. And it, they do it on the left wing, they do it on the right wing, they, the moderates will do it. I mean, it's, it's, it's ridiculous. And it's doing nothing but but separating people, pushing people apart, and, uh, yeah. <laughs> so it's a bunch of retardedness, and kind of kind of tired of seeing that everywhere. But here's the funny thing. The director, um, he did this interview with Fearnet, and uh, I, I get the impression that he really doesn't think that he was overbearing or heavy at all with the message. Um, he, in this interview, he says that, oh, there is the, quote, occasional broad political jab, end quote, <laughs> Well, the political jabs were neither occasional nor broad. They were very pointed and they were very frequent. <laughs> oh. But, you know, there are more positives about this. I thought, actually, this was a very nice piece of filmmaking. Uh, very beautiful lighting, very beautiful cinematography. Um, the plot is very easy to follow because it's very just, you know, kind of political agenda driven. Um, so, you know, even though we, you know, you got a lot of characters to keep track of here, um, it, it really doesn't bother me. You know, they wrote the characters strongly enough that they're very distinct and they're easy to remember because they're stereotypical. A lot of stereotypes here. And uh, the acting overall, I thought, was fairly good. So that really helped. And we have a great first scare. Lots of blood, lots of violence. Um, you know, a lot of a lot of decent scares throughout the movie. Kid gets hit by a car. You know, a lot of nice headshots and... 
the one guy uses a weed eater to kill the zombies and, you know, a head gets ripped off and it looks good. Um, there's this great hammer and nail scene <laughs> that you just got to see. Uh, there's a, a, a girl sticks a knife through the chin and it comes out the bridge of the nose of a zombie. And there, there's tons more. Lots of violence in here and the effects all look good. Um, from what I could f figure out when I just watched it this one time is that everything looked practical effect-wise aside from a few discrete CG effects. There were a few. Um, but uh, I thought the zombies looked pretty good. Uh, the makeup was a little uneven. You know, some were done better than others. But, uh, you know, the zombies act great. They're gross and disgusting. They're shambling and slow. Um, and I just gotta say, the sequence with, uh, the gay guy's mother, where, uh, you know, she's a zombie and she's kind of tied down and she eats her own eye. It, it's, it's fantastic. It's, it's classic. Um, overall, I think the zombies pretty much remind me of the ones from Night of Living Dead 1990, but uh, not quite that good. But, you know, it's okay. And I had a question, you know, they didn't really define everything about the zombies. You know, it, it, uh, they, they were slow and shambling. Um, they, they eat flesh and guts and everything. We see a lot of that. Uh, it seems that destroying the head seems to kill them. Although it's never discussed, it's never mentioned, it's never sure. Um, but we do have one scene where a severed arm keeps moving. So that's almost of a, you know, a return of the living dead kind of thing. So I wasn't sure exactly what we were seeing. And the whole thing about them dying and coming back wasn't expressly given. So I wasn't sure whether there were people, just like 28 Days Later, where they're just infected. They're still alive, but they're just crazy. Um, but no, I don't know. So, overall, one more complaint, <laughs> and this is, this is a very specific complaint, and it's not as major as any of the other ones I've had, but I really wish that filmmakers like this would remember that when people smoke pot and get high, most of the time, 99% of the time, they're going to get all red-eyed and squinty. <laughs> and, you know, I'm tired of seeing scenes in movies where people do bong hits like they do in this one, or they smoke a joint or something, and the whole rest of the scene, they're, they're clear-eyed. Um, it just, it doesn't work. Uh, so I wish there would be more realism with high people in movies. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, I noticed this. But, okay, overall, uh, Zombies of Mass Destruction, sure. It's clever and funny, and uh, at times it's a lot of fun to watch. It's a spoof of night, dawn, day, return, Sean, 28 days later, everything, everything. The zombies are pretty good. It's nice and violent with uh, some, you know, a couple of pretty memorable scenes. Uh, I think the director did a great job for his first feature film with any kind of a budget. However, like I said, the overbearing agenda is a huge turnoff for me, and I know it will be for a lot of people too. The discussion here is just too heavy and too one-sided for me to give the movie a better rating than I'm going to give it. They're, they're just they're shoving it all down my throat the whole time, and I got sick of it. Um, just way too over the top at times. Um, and if it weren't for all of that, it would be a great zombie movie. <laughs> Take all of the politics and commentary out of it. And, you know, so maybe I should edit this. Hmm. hmm. Well, I don't know. I'm going to give this out of 10. It gets a big four. Will not watch it again. It's just stupid. Um, but I do have to say thank you to Misfit Boy and to Mike from Fear Shop because, like I said, I made a couple comments about this on Twitter and uh, how I thought the movie overall was pretty stupid, and they agreed with me. 
they stood up for me. And uh, yeah, so you guys, yins are awesome. <laughs> yeah. So sorry, bloody disgusting. You know, your quote on the front of the movie that says it's the best of its type since Shaun of the Dead is way off the mark. <laughs> this movie is nowhere near Shaun. If I was Simon Pegg and Edgar Wright and Nick Frost, I'd be pretty upset about that. <laughs> but, you know, we see these big horror site endorsements on all kinds of horrible movies these days because the way I figure it, it just really strokes everyone's egos. So there you go. Yet another reason to forget the big horror sites. Yep, just full of retards. You were late to work and got caught in the rain And my god, the kids were sure being a pain And you burned to dinner or wrecked your car And the little ones are pushing a bit too far They're whining and screaming and raising all hell You got a migraine and beginning to yell And the house is becoming a full-fledged riot It's time you had some peace and quiet So just give a whiff to your daughter or son And you guarantee your troubles are done Chloroform fun, it's second to none Chloroform fun is just the one for kids that need sedated Hey, Corey, this is Ertrov. Um, just wanted to say, I was just going on a ain'titcoolnews.com because they've been having a lot of Walking Dead stuff there. And I noticed today they have something really awesome. Um, if you go to their homepage, they have um, an image that's a Comic-Con poster for the Walking Dead TV series. It's really good. Um, they've kept very much, it looks just like a real version of Tony Moore's artwork, which is just insane. So, yeah, go check that out. Um, yeah, I can't wait for the show. Um, I hope maybe after each season or a couple seasons or whatever, maybe you and Apocalypse Dan could do another review like you did for Compendium 1. Just, just a uh, suggestion. That'd be pretty cool. Um, yeah, so can't wait for Midnight Cory 10. See ya. Hey, thanks for calling, my friend. Um, yeah, actually, The Walking Dead, I did see that poster, but it was after I already recorded my intro segment where I was talking about all that Walking Dead stuff from Ain't It Cool News and whatever. And uh, so, yeah, I, I found that, and then you called, and so it was really funny. Everything kind of happened all, all at once here. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I'm re like I said, I'm recording under some, some crazy circumstances this week, so you'll have to forgive me. But, uh Anyhow, I'm going to put that link up. Uh, I am so excited about this series myself. The, uh, the, the poster is just phenomenal. Uh, I'm seeing ads for it now, like on, on the back of the Walking Dead comic, which is great. So, yeah, a lot of hype. And uh, as far as doing uh, another segment with uh, Apocalypse Dan, <laughs> I'm not so sure that'll happen. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll just leave it at uh, Dan went kind of nutso on me, and uh, well, <laughs> the rest is history. But dude, <laughs> thanks for calling in, man. When the full moon strikes the door of my tomb, I will come back. You hear? I will come back to kill you. Hey, Corey. Misfit Boy here. I just got done watching The Ghoul, and I know you're going to be doing a review on it, so I just thought I'd chime in real quick. I'm not going to go too deep into the plot. Maybe I can give a little background on Karloff himself 
and just talk a little bit about the film. Way back in 1909, a British actor, William Henry Pratt, traveled to Canada and he's looking for fame and fortune basically on stage. He's a relative member of the British Foreign Service. He decides to change his name hoping to prevent embarrassment to his family. Well, the name that he took will become a legend. Boris Karloff is the name he chose. And he started to establish himself as a character actor until his breakout performance in the 1931 film Frankenstein. And almost instantaneously, he became an icon in the world of horror. Now the great thing about these old movies, and I can go on about these all day because they are my favorite. I find any type of film in the black and whites from the 30s to the early 60s, I find very few flaws because a lot of them, at least the ideas are original. It's not like modern day where, you know, obviously everybody knows with all the remakes and that, which some are fine and some are not. Anyway, I can watch these all day, and I found myself having to go back and watch this twice because the story itself is so complex, it's almost like it's a, I want to say it's like a play put on film because that's kind of how it comes across. Now, one of the actors that works alongside Karloff in this is Ernest Thiesinger. Now, a lot of you will remember him from The Bride of Frankenstein. He plays his servant. And basically, they're looking, and they finally find this, like, I don't know, it's like a pendant or something. It's called the Eternal Light. And he's supposed to be presenting it to the Egyptian gods after his death. And it's supposedly going to give him immortality. Well, some thieves come along and try to take it from him while he's in his tomb. And he ends up coming back as one of the undead. It really kind of goes along the uh, mummy type undead, but still, yes, it can be considered a zombie. The really cool thing about this film that I enjoyed was the backdrop. I mean, it's got the spooky elements of the classic old horror films. And I love that. I mean, can you imagine going to, like, say, I don't know, an auction and getting to get pieces from, like, the original Frankenstein or the mummy sets and have that in your own living room or somewhere? I think that would be just awesomely cool. But there are some other popular actresses and actors in it. Uh, one in particular is Cedric Hardwick. He's been known to be in these type of horror films all throughout his career. And... They all play a pretty good role. It's very believable. Now, as I said before, this movie is, it's got such a complex plot. It's not normally seen in horror films. And most of it is set in a dark house, which is just incredible. It's kind of hard to follow, but if you can sit back, this is one of those type of films that you really have to let your mind go, I guess would be the best way to put it. But it is a really good film. After the second time, I was like, wow, I can't believe I waited this long to see this film. I'm not saying it's the greatest black and white film in the history of horror, but it is very good. I mean, Karloff, he can pretty much hold any performance in a film that he does. I've seen very few films of his that I did not enjoy. I know I enjoy Karloff a lot more than Lugosi. Why? I don't know. But it's just something about Karloff's presence. I mean, he's very tall and kind of awkward looking, and he does give that ghoul appearance. 
even without makeup. I mean, it's kind of mean to say, but he is kind of a creepy individual. And his presence on screen, I guess, is just, you just say, wow, every time. Even if he's in a bad movie, which he has been in some, but this film here, The Ghoul, is a kind of a dark house mystery tale. And I've not seen many of these, but I have to say, it is interesting. It was directed by T. Hayes Hunter, and all I can tell you is it's a very cool film to see. It's not the best, but it is right up there. This film had been considered lost for a long time until I think it was uh, MGM. I think it was Metro-Goldwyn that actually found a pristine copy and released it just a few years ago. So, Corey, I gotta tell you, thanks for the find. I'm glad I got to see this twice. And uh, just one quick thing here. If you're going to watch this movie be prepared you will get a little bored through it midway say it does have that slow build and it just like grinds through the film but the payoff is really good Karloff is just amazing in this and I guess if I would have to rate it I'd probably give it about 7 out of 10 so with that thanks again Corey appreciate you giving me a minute to just talk about the ghoul and I love the fact that you're plundering the vaults of the old zombie films I guess I'll say it's great. I'm glad somebody's finally taken the time to do this and leave it to you. So keep plundering the vaults of horror with zombies, man. I'm on board for it, dude. Anytime. All right. This is Misfit Boy. I gotta go. Thanks, Core. Next up in my study of zombie film history, we have The Ghoul from 1933. Now, um, also Misfit Boy is reviewing this movie on this episode. I haven't listened to that yet, so I have no idea what he said or if what I'm saying is going to uh, overlap what he said. So whatever. Who cares? I'm just going to do my thing. Now, the star of this one, the big, big name is Boris Karloff. We all know that guy. Uh, he had just released The Mummy the year before, as well as Frankenstein. And uh, what's funny is that uh, the ghoul here mixes the zombie and mummy subgenres, kinda, which is why I kind of see this as a response to White Zombie. This is Karloff kind of competing with Lugosi, you know? Uh, Karloff was Lugosi's British rival in the horror film world, and they had both just come off these huge successes. You know, Lugosi had Dracula, Karloff had The Mummy and Frankenstein. And speaking of The Mummy, you know, it raises the question that I'd actually talked about on the Midnight Podcast back in the day. And uh, I had the intention of exploring somewhat. And that's like, how similar are other monsters, uh, most notably Frankenstein and The Mummy, to the zombie? Do they owe anything to the zombie genre for being what they are? And how much does the zombie genre itself owe to these kind of creatures? And where, where did this all come from? So I think that's a really kind of interesting thing that I could explore, but I'm not including the mummy or Frankenstein or any, any of that in uh, kind of the zombie history here that I'm doing. So the ghoul, I had to get a quick copy. I got it on archive.org, uh, downloaded. And uh, let me say that this version of the film was very dark and very jittery with a lot of skips in it. Uh, it was very hard to follow. Um, but, uh, what I did really appreciate visually about the film is that there are a lot of lights and shadows. They made great use of contrast in this film. It's a very film noir 
kind of look. And I love film noir. That's where you have very dark darks and very bright whites all working together to, and the shapes and the movement that it creates. So the story behind the ghoul is that we have a dying professor who's played by Karloff. Um, he somehow acquired the secret of the eternal light. Um, and he's to make his offering to Anubis after he dies. So uh, he's getting closer and closer to his deathbed, and he's learned all these secrets. He's, he's an Egyptologist, and apparently he, he just knows what to do after he dies so that uh, he can be raised up again. So he's supposed to be buried in a very specific way. Uh, however, you know, he, he instructs his servant to do all these things, and the servant doesn't exactly follow these orders, and so consequently he screws everything up, and the professor ends up coming back, but as the living dead is kind of a zombie, kind of halfway between life and death, and uh, as a result he's bent on revenge, <laughs> of course. So that's pretty much the whole movie right there. Um, I do have to say that when you do see Karloff as the returning uh, ghoul or the zombie or whatever he is, he's he's gruesome looking. Uh, I really did just love his look uh, physically, even when back when he's playing the professor towards the beginning of the movie, it's very good as well. But the problem is you only see the Karloff zombie for only like the last 20 minutes of the movie, maybe. Everything else up until then is... Uh, things that are they're leading up to what's going on and talking about what's going on. And then, you know, the Karloff thing happens, there's some action there, but then the ending is pretty anticlimactic. Uh, there, there are some suspenseful scenes, but then you get the end and that's, that's pretty much that. And I don't know, I guess the reason that this was kind of lackluster for me is that I've seen a very terrible copy of it. Um, the only place that I could find it, like I said, was on archive.org, but I just recently found that MGM released a more complete and cleaner DVD in 2003. It's supposed to be a lot better from what I've heard, uh, much more coherent. So I think I'm going to do a follow-up review of this once I see the much better DVD. I bought it. It was on Amazon for like two bucks, and then you pay a few bucks in shipping, so for five bucks... I'm getting the ghoul uh, MGM DVD. So, yeah, whenever that comes in, I'll try to find time to watch that and tell you if anything's changed, what I think about it now after seeing a much better version. You know, the major problems that I had with this is that it was very hard to follow. Uh, you, you, I couldn't always tell what was going on and kind of who was who because the picture was so bad and it was jumping in between different th things. And, oh, you know, I, I could tell that there was potential there. I'm like, there's probably a good movie behind all of this, but it was really kind of shrouded behind these major issues that I had. So yeah, looking forward to seeing that DVD. I really like Karloff. I uh, really like the noir feel of the film. I think it had great atmosphere. But, uh, you know, for now, uh, I think I'm going to have to give it a rating uh, of a 5 out of 10. I think the only positive thing that I saw in this whole film is the atmosphere and some good classic Karloff.
Midnight Cory. It's a knife in your eye. Midnight Cory. It's a fistful of glass. Midnight Cory. It will make you regret the day you were born. Midnight Cory. It's a hammer to the face. Midnight Cory. It's the nightmare that never ends. Midnight Cory. It's time to die. Midnight Cory. It's slippery with intestines. Midnight Cory. It's the smell of burning flesh. Join, Join us at midnightcory.com. And now, the winners of the Eric S. Brown and David Dunwoody Zombie Flash Fiction Contest. Third place goes to Keith Govea for Hunger. Second place goes to William Wood for Z.I. Joe. And the winner, first place in the Eric S. Brown and David Dunwoody Zombie Flash Fiction Contest is... Stephanie Kincaid for Bedtime Story. Now, let's get to reading these fine pieces of zombie flash fiction. Hunger by Keith Govea The dead hate the living. When the apocalypse arrived and the gates of hell opened to release its prisoners, the dead walked the earth. The objective was clear. Recruit the living by any means necessary. We thought we were at the top of the food chain, that we were the intelligent ones. When the war began, we believed ourselves superior to them in every way, but we did not understand the hunger, the need to eat, to survive. We were wrong, dead wrong. At first, the battle was going our way, our numbers were far greater, and killing them was easy. Though we outnumbered them, they proved resourceful, and our numbers began to dwindle. We thought if we took away their food supply, they would eventually die, leaving the flies and worms to feast on their bones. But in desperate times, desperate men do desperate things. This was beyond our comprehension at the time. Evolution can be a bitch when it's forced to quicken its pace, and they're now nothing more than savages, an empty shell of their former selves. With their food non-existent, madness set in, and the human soul was no more. Right and wrong were thrown aside as the desire to survive ravaged their spirits, bringing them closer to their breaking point. They began to look for alternative food sources looking toward us. Never could we have imagined them to stoop so low as to eat rotten meat. That was our mistake. In our darkest hour, we've traded one prison for another, clustered together, hiding and cowering beneath the streets of these dead cities, fearful that one day the living may venture into the dark catacombs we call home, find us, and devour our festering flesh. We are so hungry. But the hunger will never kill us. Thus, we're flawed. So, we wait. Hoping their hunger will eventually turn on them as it did to us.
Hey guys, this is James Melzer here. I am the author of Escape, a Zombie Chronicles novel, which hit stores everywhere March 15th, 2011 from Permuta Press and Simon & Schuster, which you can pre-order it right now, and also get the chance to win an Amazon Kindle, as well as a whole crapload of books from the likes of Jonathan Mayberry, S.G. Brown, Scott Sigler, and more. Just visit www.jamesmelzer.net for more details. Alright. Now let's get to what we all came here for. I am going to be reading the second place winner of the Brown Dunwoody Zombie Flash Fiction Contest. And it's called Zed-Eye Joe by William Wood. Brannigan watched the young woman through the digital scope. He made small adjustments to his aim as she darted from park bench to bush to burned out car. She was good, careful even keeping a good watch as she moved directly across the center of Champ de Mars, 321.84 meters away, according to the rangefinder. Non-thermal movement, whispered Weston. Brannigan smiled, careful to keep the weapon rock steady. You don't have to whisper, Spotter. I don't think they can hear us. The wind whipping at Eiffel's first level muted speech within a few meters. He toggled the magnification down to take in more of the scene. Yep. Five stinks were interested in the French Missy, not far from her position either. They hadn't spotted her yet, but they would when she moved. He eased the weapon on target and tightened the view on the scope, watching the readouts and calculating the real numbers in his head. He squeezed off a single round and watched the woman roll away, clutching at her knee. The stinks cast their vacant gazes around the weed-infested road, staring down noseless faces, seeking their prey. They'd adapted in most parts of the world to realize that gunfire meant something fresh to eat. Evolution was a nasty mistress. He found the woman again. She'd torn her blouse into strips and was wrapping her injured leg, something clenched tightly in her teeth as she tightened down the makeshift bandage. I'll be damned. She wasn't screaming. He watched as she forced herself to breathe slowly, raising up just enough to make her would-be stink attackers and dropping back down. She pulled out a handgun an old Colt 1911 near as he could tell, and aimed it in his general direction. His eyes widened. There was no way she could see them unaided at this distance, but she was checking just the same, and she'd realize roughly where the shot had come from. She was lousy bait. He wasn't going to get many new notches on the stock of his rifle from this one, and he'd have to worry about Weston too. Sooner or later their team's secret to success was going to come to light. The brass might not care, officially, how many living it took to thin the stinks ranks, but the bleeding hearts in the safe zone capital sure would. Brannigan mauled the moment and dropped the five stinks before they found her. Let's go see if she can walk. What? Weston's mouth was agape, shocked. She'll freaking shoot us, man. We just tried to- Don't get your panties in a wad, kid. He glanced over his shoulder in the direction of the woman. She's a survivor. She'll understand. Hello, I'm James Durham, author of Fetidus, the foundation for the ethical treatment of the innocently damned, undead, and supernatural at fetidus.org. And I'm honored to read this delightfully creepy short story. Here's Bedtime Story by Stephanie Kincaid. The End 
as Andrea closed the storybook, her stomach and throat tightened, her body stealing itself for her return to unwelcome reality. For a few brief minutes, the bright, cheerful pictures and whimsical language of her daughter's favorite tale had swept her back in time to easier days. Days when most children's first experience of death was with a treasured pet or at worst a beloved grandparent. Andrea's mouth twitched as she remembered the day Kelly saw her first corpse. Mrs. Lambert wandered over from next door as though to borrow an egg or some sugar. But that day, the blue-lipped, bloated Mrs. Lambert had no use for baking supplies. She was looking for a different sort of snack, something immediate, something raw, something human. Before the Mrs. Lamberts of the world bumped ordinary living human beings off their coveted position at the top of the food chain, Andrea's biggest moral dilemma was whether or not she really had to get the family up for church when it was sleeting and gloomy outside, and Charlie's arms were so nice and warm and inviting. In those days, she never had to worry about whether it was okay to take food and supplies from the neighbor's house when you knew for sure she wouldn't need them because she was lying on your kitchen floor with a bullet hole in her head. Or whether or not to let your husband see you cry when he showed you the festering bite wound on his arm and handed you his gun. Or what to tell your child when she asked where daddy was. Pinocchio was stupid, Kelly declared, interrupting Andrea's painful reverie. Kelly, that's not a nice thing to say. She wondered why she was bothering. Would there ever be enough semblance of society for manners to matter again? Besides, I thought Pinocchio was one of your favorite stories. It is. The story isn't stupid. Pinocchio was stupid. Kelly spoke as though this were a point that should not require clarification. Why is that? Why would he want to be a real boy? Real boys get eaten by zombies. But nobody would eat a wooden boy. He wouldn't be stuck inside all the time. He could go outside and play, and he could kill all the zombies too. And then we could all go out and play. And we could find Daddy. Andrea hugged Kelly to her and promised herself two things. She would hide that Pinocchio storybook somewhere she'd never have to look at it and she would tell her daughter the truth, soon, but not tonight. That was a story for another day. Oh, a lot of background with this week's uh, original song that I'm giving you. This is completely original. I wrote the words and the music, for the most part. Um, and I, I'll explain that, but uh, here's what this is. This is yet another song from my collection of Zombie 2 songs. Um, I wrote this back, oh, probably 2004, 2005, uh, when I was first uh, really getting used to the you know, recorder that I was using, and I just sat down and recorded it with myself singing on acoustic guitar. And uh, I wrote it, and at the time I was playing with a, a band that we were playing in a lot of uh, bars and stuff on the south side in uh, Pittsburgh. And I took the song to them and they really liked it and uh, we, we just really rocked it. <laughs> and so a lot of what you're hearing 
it, uh, I'm uh, I'm playing all the parts in this song that you're going to hear, but uh, a lot of the ideas and the final arrangement here was actually done with me alongside my band. So you know, I got to give credit to Funkmeister Fatty, <laughs> yeah, Pittsburgh band from uh, back in the day. Oh yeah, yeah, that was a fun band. But it was a three piece. And uh, so Funkmeister Fatty is going to get the uh, the writing credits for this, but I did write the words. Um, this is like the third or fourth time I've recorded it. Uh, I've tried recording it so many times because I love this song. I absolutely love it. It's so much fun to play and sing. Um, I'm usually uh, singing and playing bass at the same time. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah, this is, uh, this is just so much fun. It's called What Am I Going to Do Now? Now, this is the second song, and I, I'm, I'm finding a pattern here in how I write these songs, but this is the second one in the Zombie 2 songs that I'm focusing on the perspective of one of the female characters. This one is about the doctor's wife, and I can't think of her name now, but it's never really, uh, I don't think, brought up in the song. But uh, it, it's as if you're looking through her eyes at the whole situation, and it starts clear from the, the conflict right after... Uh, you know, the doctor leaves her and it goes clear through till, um, you know, she gets her uh, uh, eye poked in with the wooden shard. <laughs> and uh, it's just a really fun song. Um, it's one that I, I'm really, uh, I want to get it right. Uh, so this is the most recent recording of the song called What Am I Gonna Do Now? One of my Zombie 2 songs. <laughs> Now 
And that's it for this edition of Midnight Cory. Thank you all for listening. Boy, it's been fun. Next week, we're going to keep talking about some Karloff zombie movies. Uh, I'm going to be reviewing The Walking Dead from 1936. Uh, it has uh, nothing whatsoever to do with the comic book and upcoming AMC series, The Walking Dead. But it is the next uh, Karloff zombie movie from the 30s. <laughs> he made three of them, so uh, we'll be doing one more the week after that. That was called The Men They Could Not Hang. Well, of course, I got to thank uh, actually a lot of people. First of all, I got to thank Mr. James Durham from Fetidus.org. You got to go check him out. If you haven't checked out Fetidus, he just kind of reinvented Fetidus and uh, started doing that again, and it is absolutely phenomenal. So if you go to fetidus.org, F-E-T-I-D-U-S dot O-R-G, check it out. It's great. Uh, James Durham is not only a, a fantastic author, but the production is absolutely phenomenal on it. He's a talented musician and just an all-around nice guy. Uh, you should follow him on Twitter, too. So, yeah, James Durham, thank you, sir, for reading our first place winner. And I also have to thank James Melzer from jamesmelzer.net. Of course, you know him, podcaster, author, all-around great guy also. And he, he, he's moving to the great state of PA to, to get married, which is fantastic. So, yeah, but uh, I, I got to thank uh, both of you for taking the time to record them, uh, the, the stories, and doing such a fantastic job. And, of course, I want to thank Eric S. Brown and David Dunwoody for just putting on such a spectacular contest. I know they had a lot of time into this. And uh, man, man, you guys at one are in for some sweet, sweet prizes. So if your story was one of the winning three, then I need you to email me. Email me at Corey at MidnightCorey.com. That's C-O-R-E-Y at MidnightCorey.com. And uh, let me know uh, where we should send your spoils. And yeah, fantastic stuff. Congratulations once again to the winners. And thank you to everybody that made this possible. So yeah, that's it. Um, uh, let's see, midnightcory.com is where you can go and find some cool stuff. All the music is available to be downloaded. The original music that I play, you can download all of them as mp3s at midnightcory.com slash music. Uh, so yeah, yeah, and I update that a couple days after the podcast comes out. So probably over the weekend here, or early next week, you'll be able to download... What am I going to do now? And, uh, you know, put it on your MP3 player or, uh, you know, give it to your friends, stuff like that. So, yeah, yeah. Free music is cool. <laughs> the voicemail of death is 814-806-2828. You can hear me also on my friend James Melzer's podcast, Unleashed. And I uh, just sent in a review for that. And I'm talking about, uh, what? what was I talking? Perkins 14. Ooh, yeah. Perkins 14. That was with, uh, Michael Graves. Uh, yeah. That was also an After Dark film, I think. So, wow. I'm reviewing a lot of After Dark films. <laughs> and, uh, I'm not sure whether or not I'm still on Library of the Living Dead. Um, Dr. Puss has been releasing a lot of episodes and I've been emailing him saying, you know, because he has some segments of mine that he hasn't played yet. And so I've been emailing him and saying, what should I do? Are you going to play the segment? And I haven't heard back from him. So I don't know if he's just mad at me for something or whatever. <laughs> There's always drama in the podcast world. Oh, yeah. But uh, yeah. so anyhow, I have no idea if you're going to hear me on there anymore or not. But uh, yeah, so that's it. Next week is going to be a new week with a new podcast. Uh, thanks for listening. I'll talk to you again. Let's go.
That's good, lads. Aye. Tonight, we'd like to take this opportunity to tip our hats to a fallen friend, Wesley Willis. Aye, aye. Aye, aye. Poet, musician, artistic savant. He rose up from the streets and took us all for a ride we'll not soon forget. Or recover from, for that matter. Whip it up, motherfucker! Scream, Dracula, scream! I'm gonna lord that boom here! Bring it out! Sucking motherfuckers. 